Thank you. Good morning. Let there be light. And there was darkness. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, we uh, come to worship the Lord, to acknowledge Him, to recognize Him, to raise His reputation to greater heights in our own hearts and lives together and uh, individually. But perhaps you're here also because I'm speaking on anger again. And if that's the case, I'm tempted to speak on anger every week for a while <laughs> because it really is a relevant topic. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking about anger. Uh, I probably spent a lot of time over the last uh, 40 years of my life uh, reading just about everything on the subject and working on a project, me, <laughs> I'm the science project of, of the kind of mixture between understanding myself and understanding God's Word, what it has to say about anger, and then also what uh, learned people have to teach us about anger. And there are many, many places where it illumines our understanding and it uh, draws upon the Word and reveals uh, uh, the truth of God. And so I want to talk about uh, just a few of those things uh, this morning. Uh, last Sunday, uh, we read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 7, and I'd like to read them again. So if you have your New Testament already open to Paul's letter to Ephesus, to the Ephesians, we're going to begin at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Last Sunday when we looked at uh, these three verses, I just repeated the three prohibitions, <laughs> the, the three do nots. Do not sin. Do not let the sun set or go down on your anger. And do not give a place or a foothold uh, to the devil. And then we looked uh, after recognizing the fact that this uh, uh, is drawing upon uh, everything starting at verse 25 to the end of the chapter is influenced and informed by verses 22, 3, and 4, put off your old humanity, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on your new humanity in Christ. That's the new humanity that Jesus Christ has created in his death and resurrection. And our destiny in Christ is to be our consummation, our completion as God's project is to be formed and made completely in the nature and character of Jesus Christ. We have a down payment. We're told even in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 
13, 14. We have a down payment. We have a pledge from God. And that pledge is the Holy Spirit. That pledge is a guarantee that the balance of what He's promised will be paid. It's a first payment, if you will, an important one. It's an installment. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. Um, the New Testament word is uh, arbon, but in modern Greek, the arbon is the wedding ring. So when you put that wedding ring on a person's finger, it's a pledge, it's a covenant. And the Holy Spirit, if we may draw upon that metaphor, the Holy Spirit is God's wedding ring to you of the uh, Messianic banquet, uh, the marriage feast of the Lamb. Those are, that's all language of the New Testament uh, that awaits us. That's our destiny. That's what we're supposed to be. But through faith, we can participate daily in the power and the life of the resurrection because of the Holy Spirit in us. In fact, the Holy Spirit was not, I, I wasn't going to digress onto a little talk about the Holy Spirit, but we've got to have that in our minds. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon Jesus' death, resurrection and exaltation to the right hand of the Father. So in His triumph, the promise of the Father was vested to Jesus to pour out on His people at Pentecost, and we see that in Acts chapter 2, and the people of Christ, his followers, his disciples, those who have put everything on Jesus. You know, if you were a gambler and you were spinning the wheel and you have to put your, all your money on a number, I've watched television, you put it on Christ. And that's what we've done. So, we looked at the end of this chapter, verses 30, 31, and 32. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't make the Holy Spirit sad. <laughs> you know? Don't revile the Spirit. Don't let your actions, your thoughts, your behavior say, I don't give a hoot about you. That grieves the Spirit. So he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, right? The erbon, the pledge, for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So that kind of puts in perspective when Paul says be angry in verse 26, he's not advocating a life of anger. He's saying that in our emotional life, there is an emotion and it is recognized and called by the name of anger. But do not sin, he says. And here we pick up that same kind of theme, and it's elaborated. And he puts, he says, put away all that kind of stuff, everything associated uh, with anger. And what do you put on in its place? 
Well, verse 32, be kind to one another. (laughs) Just think about that. If you've ever been angry, and you're talking to an expert on anger, not because of what I've learned or read or studied, but because I've been an angry person. I was raised an angry person. It would have torpedoed and sunk every relationship in my life if Christ hadn't turned me around. And it nearly destroyed my marriage to one of the most wonderful women, certainly the most wonderful women in my life. And from that, I got to tell you, when you're angry, the last thing you want to do is be kind. The last thing you want to do is be tender-hearted. And the last thing you want to do is to forgive. But then we come to those words, as God in Christ forgave us. And that is the turning point right there. That is what drains me of my anger. When I see myself clearly and I realize that in Christ I have an entirely different orientation, a different outlook, a different approach to the world around me and the people in my life. I do get caught off guard and you do too. But this has to be our orientation, that everything that angers me, upsets me, everything that injures me, as we mentioned last week, probably if you were to sum up one trigger for all kinds of anger, the whole smorgasbord of anger, it would be the sense of injury, whether it's real or just felt. A lot of what angers us is due to our own perceptions of injury and insult and all the other ways in which we, in our sensitivity, can be offended and injured. Well, as I said, this passage that we're in, particularly from verse 25 to 32, is reflecting or drawing upon the realities of verses 22, 23, and 24. Put off, be renewed in your mind, and put on. And we even see it here. You see, the renewing of the mind has to do with the spirit. He says, don't be grieved. Don't grieve the spirit. And then talks about putting off the old nature. And he illustrates that old nature in terms of basic forms of anger. And he says, put on something new. Put on the new humanity that is ours in Jesus Christ. And so that's why we don't want to be a turkey We want to be and soar like an eagle. I just had to revive this one more time because uh, to me, that is what I look like on the inside when I'm angry. That is, once I cool down and I realize that in my sense of false justice, which usually would push me well beyond the issue into powerful but violent forms of abuse an injury of others for which there is no excuse, when I would cool down and could see myself, that's what I look like on the inside. And what's crazy is that when we're angry, 
we tend to look like that on the outside. A forgiving spirit breaks the spell of anger. And that has to be practiced just like faith has to be practiced. If you prayed a prayer 30 years ago and because Jesus loved you and made a a transforming, life-changing, destiny-altering way for you that you accepted up here in your brain, but you don't walk with him, you don't talk with him, he plays no relevant role in your life. You're not exercising your faith. You're not growing in your knowledge of the truth that has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And it's going to be very hard for you to break your anger. But if you grow in your knowledge of the very heart of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, and you begin to ponder what he has done for you, that's where repentance comes in. If, if God hasn't done much for you, then you don't have much to repent of. And you don't have much to be forgiven. And if you don't have much to be forgiven, then the grace of God is a a pretty small number to count. But if you realize who you really are, if you just use your own standard for evaluating the the world, just use the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now that sets your life as the standard, not God's law, not the Ten Commandments, nothing revealed. Just use the standard of your life that we call the golden rule as your standard for how people ought to treat you, and then you ought to treat other people. And if you try to live your life that way, you will fast become an awarer. You'll become someone who understands the nature of sin. Because we live by a double standard. We expect others to treat us better than we expect of ourselves to treat others. And we that's your best definition of sin, by the way. If somebody ever says, what is sin? I'll tell you, just have that person try to practice a law that is set by the the standards they expect of others and then abide by those same standards in treating others and see how it goes. But when we realize our depression, I read this week that um, it was a spoof, but it said uh, young mother finally believes in total depravity, which is the depravity of human nature. That is a biblical doctrine. A young mother finally became a believer in the depravity of, uh, the doctrine of depravity because of her two-year-old daughter. So there you go terrible twos. What I'm trying to say is that a forgiving spirit comes from a recognition of how much we've been forgiven, how much we are loved. And that really is an act of grace. It's not merited. Uh, We can't boast. We can't crow about how we're so lovable because of our good character and all, certainly not to God. But as we fathom that through relationship, it it transforms the way we see ourselves and we see others. This is a heart issue. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not just a brain 
or a cognitive issue. I received a letter a few years ago after speaking on the subject of anger, and uh, I have the writer's permission to, to read it, uh, although it has been many years. He gave it to me back then. I too, he says, have struggled with anger. I grew up in a home where we had the perfect family. You know, mom, dad, four kids, church every Sunday, church every Wednesday, no kids on drugs, dad worked and mom stayed home to raise the kids, etc. My father was a leader in the church. All was well until conflict would hit, and then my father would become angry and begin busting up the house. He always asked for forgiveness from my mother and the kids, and I'm sure of God. He never hit anyone. He just scared the heck out of us. I didn't even know I had a temper until the second week of marriage when my bride and I got into an argument. The next thing I knew, I was tossing things around the apartment. Well, I don't toss things around anymore, and I believe that I have much more control over my tongue than I used to. My concern is the heart issue. Although I do not act out of the anger I feel, on the anger I feel, I want my heart to coincide with my actions. When you pray for me, ask that God would give me a peaceful heart that does not become angry and harbor resentment. Well, that's my story in a nutshell. Well, God answers that prayer. He answers it through Jesus Christ, through His grace, through His love and mercy, through a relationship in which we are offered inexhaustible forgiveness that we do not deserve. Such grace and mercy, truly and deeply received, breeds love and forgiveness. It breeds gratitude to God apart from the injuries of people. That's very important to understand. That love, that forgiveness, that grace, that mercy, and all the fruits of a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ is independent of the actions and behaviors of other people. And I, because of it, can love in spite of the fact that someone is injuring me. When I draw upon the Lord, when I turn to Him, when I let Him take over, because anger is when I take over. And if you can fathom that, you can talk about it a hundred different ways. But the fundamental idea is we turn to Jesus and he softens that sense of injury and insult and replaces it with a sense of I've been forgiven, I've been shown mercy, I have received grace. And out of that, I have a reservoir, I have a resource, I have a fat bank account of which to show that to others. So I want us, oh, here we go. Oops, I just, can I go back? There it goes. So this morning, looking at verse 26 and 27, I just want to change the words a little. Refuse, revise, and revive. Refuse. Do not get angry. Do not sin. You know, I mean, excuse me, not get angry, but do not sin. Refuse anger as it pulls you deeper into selfishness. Secondly, revise. 
don't let the sun go down on your anger. How are you going to do that? How are you going to resolve or revise your anger? That's what I want to talk about. That's how you don't build up resentment and hold on to anger that goes on into the next day and the next day and the next day. So I'm just using the word revise that I think is triggered by the what Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And then finally, revive, where it says, do not let the devil. Well, how do you, how do you avoid giving the devil a foothold? Well, you let the Holy Spirit. See, the devil can't live in you. The devil can only woo you and influence you and trick you and draw you into deeper selfishness. But the Holy Spirit actually dwells within you. And if you can give him control of your life, there's no room for the devil. So I just want to quickly look at these things, if I may. Let's look at refuse. This is essentially put off. Put off the old person. Put off the old nature of verse 22. Do not sin. It's... All the experts today, and this has really emerged in the last, since 1980, is with Carol Tavris and her book on anger, but it's not, it, it was recovered. It wasn't original with Carol Tavris in 1980. It goes back to the Proverbs that if we could just hold down our anger, refuse it, and we have that power, everybody has that power. Uh, Seneca tells stories about, uh, well, for example, one man who was called into the presence of uh, the emperor, uh, Gaius Caius um, Caesar, and otherwise known as Caligula, and he had killed the father's son. He had had the father's son put to death because of some annoyance. So he had the father come, and he had the father in kind of a banquet setting, enjoy a cup of wine which had been mixed with his son's blood. He kept trying to get a rise out of the father. He was trying to torture the father. And the father smiled and just carried on throughout. And Seneca says, how, how was it that you asked that he was able to withstand that kind of injury and insult over and over at such a depth as by the, from the person who had put his own son to death. And Seneca's answer is, he had another. There are things that will cause us to control. It could be fear, it could be other things. But what we want to do is let the Holy Spirit control our anger because we want to do what's right or opposite of what Paul says, do not sin. Um, so if you wait a bit or count to 10, uh, that will help you get control of your anger. You might consider the danger of anger as a prohibitive because anger does not work the righteousness of God, as James says. And you can find that out for yourself. If you've lived an angry life, just Spend a few minutes today and reflect on the product of your anger. 
What have you accomplished? What is beautiful and shining that you've built with anger? I can tell you in my life it was always wreckage, smoking, steaming wreckage. And my anger, when it was peaked, it was a scorched earth approach. So refuse anger. Take control of your self-talk. This is very important under controlling anger. Control your thoughts. They set the frequency of your life because we are thought-driven. And I do want to put up this, uh, this slide. We talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I just put in the place of what um, David Ekman had used. His words were in instinctive thinking, um, self-talk. Uh, if we use should thinking, um, if we use thinking in extremes, when we use jumping to conclusions, when we use judgmental statements, some of which I've illustrated there, uh, he does this every time. Well, that's just going to, <laughs> if you look at it that way, but what if you, what if you said, you know, th this, this does irritate me, but how I treat him can encourage and change and perhaps influence this behavior that I find offensive or insulting or inappropriate. Uh, sometimes, look, I can tell you about lots of stuff. I would pick fights with Shelley, and, and if I said to myself, she always, she never, everybody, nobody, that kind of exaggeration, uh, it, it's easier for me to get really upset because so much is at stake, as it were. You can actually talk yourself out of anger-producing, self-defeating thoughts and the actions that go with them if you get accurate about your thinking. But again, it's a heart issue. It has to go back to your heart because we won't even be honest with ourselves unless the Lord is, is reigning there. If we'll be frank and candid about our own selfish motives or how we tend to exaggerate things. When I would get upset and get in fights with Shelly, this was early on in our marriage. We've been married 43 years, so I'm talking about really old news. I don't want you to be afraid of me, but um, the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes I would just take partial truth and exploit that, and I wouldn't give equal place to the other balancing parts of truth. If I wanted to win in an argument, then I would only share certain information. I wouldn't share all the information. But what a change it introduced into our relationship when I would stop. You know, the Spirit would prompt me, John, you're, you're lying through your teeth. You feel justified because you were insulted or injured. But that's not the case. This isn't all about you. This is about ye, the two of you. And, 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 it would, and I would get honest with her, and I would say, I'm sorry. And I would share with her what it was that was really underneath that all. Uh, one time we just had a knockdown. Why do I share this? I'm not, I, I don't like making myself look bad, but if I can share some things that help you and let you know that I'm just like you, and look, well, you, don't, you only see me, you know, you don't see me at all times, but... 
you know, we can put on a good face. But I remember on one occasion we got into an argument that totally ruined the whole evening. And, and, and I was hypersensitive. And along the way, I could feel myself getting angry. I would get angry at getting angry. Some of you who have been angry know what I'm talking about. You can realize you're losing control. You realize that you're, you're torpedoing everything that you want to actually do in your righteous, actually unrighteous indignation. And so afterward, as we talked and settled down, and, and you can exhaust yourself of your anger, I shared with her, I said, you know, I'm trying to talk to you. I would chase her around the house trying to talk her, and she would become more quiet, more quiet, more quiet, and withdraw in, like into a, the back of a cave. And I would, that would only make me like raise my voice, like, can you hear me in there? And, and I shared with her for the first time, and this was after several years of marriage, why I did that. Where I, why I was uncomfortable with her silence because my dad was angry and he and my mom got divorced. And I believed that it was because he would go quiet with his anger and wouldn't communicate to his wife. So I wanted to be the opposite because I connected that to their divorce. I don't want to get divorced. I want to talk things out. So come on, let's talk it out. And I get angry about the fact she didn't want to do that. And I said, I get frightened. See, that was something I... When men are angry, they don't want to share their fears. They don't want to share their vulnerability. They love the power of anger. It feels strong. It feels so much better than being vulnerable and admitting things that do, we're kind of embarrassed about. Maybe it's because of our idea of what a man should be like. I don't know where we get a lot of the ideas, but in Christ, everything becomes pure and true. And as we pursue that, we give up a lot of that stuff that we acquire from this world that gets in the way of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in that conversation I shared with her, I said, I get angry at that I get angry. And we talked about things she could do to help me. And I explained that I would try to understand more of how ferocious and frightening I am and, and be more patient and be willing to wait. And we did that kind of communication in our relationship. If you will take the first step, if you are dealing with anger in all the wrong ways, no matter whether you're ferocious like I would get, or you're one of those cunning kind of coy people who bury their anger but then get their revenge in very subtle ways like a big con job, whatever the case, if, if you let the Spirit take over, move over yourself and let Christ take over, you'll take steps to be more honest with people. You'll serve the higher demands of love. And under this point of refuse, wait a bit. You can control your anger and then serve the higher demands of love. Let that put a cork in it so that you don't get away with yourself, so to speak. A second thing I want to share, by the way, love is the greatest power. It saved me. Jesus' love saved me. 
And if you know that same love, you realize that love, if you'll give it place, if you'll give Jesus place, you'll have a power greater than anger. The second thing is revise, verse 26. Do not let the sun set or be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Address the cause. We saw last week that the word Paul uses for anger here is kind of brings to the surface the idea of the cause of anger. Don't let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. That's very much in view. So, in other words, let the day of anger be the day of making amends, you know, fixing it, repairing it. First of all, I would say address that cause. Why does the anger bother me? Why does this irritate me? Sometimes we have done a lot of thinking along the way, and now there are certain buttons that people push, and we jump immediately to the reaction of anger. If we would go back and question, what is it I'm afraid of? How many of you get angry when you watch the news? You don't want to admit that, do you? There was a little bit of a groan, but I see a few hands. It irritates me. I, 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 do, I still watch two network shows. I used to be a real news hound. I can't watch it anymore. But I go back in and I say, why does this upset me? Why am I irritated? There might be a range of things, but some of it has to do with my investment in this country, my investment in the future, my concern for my grandchildren. I actually think of my little grandchildren growing up in this world, and the news just makes me realize this world is a mess. And I don't, I don't have any confidence in the people who are holding the reins. They've got a four-horse quadriga, and they're racing down the track, and I, I feel like they don't know where they're going. I don't know that I could do any better. But when I put my finger on what it is that I'm afraid of, like my grandkids, I'm invested in this world. My life depends on it. But more than that, next generations, people I care about, things like that. Then I realize I can pray, and I turn that over to the Lord. And then I turn off the TV set. That helps too. Dispute the initial way of seeing what irritates you. Reinterpret. Correct your thinking and the way you talk about it. That's very important. Be honest. Be fair. Don't allow yourself to exaggerate. That's going to make it worse. And it's going to justify your own point of view. You've given, been given a mind, as Paul said in verse 25... Speak the truth. And it isn't actually the, isn't the word the truth. It's just speak truth. And that's what we should become, truth speakers. And the fourth thing that I would say that help us make amends is accept responsibility for our actions and no one else's. It doesn't matter what they do. Accept responsibility for your own actions. You'll make a big difference in this world if you work on yourself and quit worrying about policing the people around you. Let God do that. Pray about that. But let God actually have control of your life 
and you'll start changing. And that'll probably have a bigger and more effective impact on the people in your world than anything else you do. On October 10, 1985, Shelley and I were racing down 101 south to Reading from South San Francisco. We were on our way to Kaiser Permanente Hospital in Redwood City, and there was a lot of traffic, and I immediately swung because Shelley was going to have a baby, and I had about 15, 20 miles to go, and so I immediately got in the fast lane, and I came up on what I remember as a Cadillac, but it doesn't really member, matter whether it was a Cadillac, but it didn't help that it was a Cadillac. And I pulled up on the back of it, and I flashed my lights. Nothing. I flashed my lights again. Nothing. And I was, of course, every time I flashed the lights, getting angrier and starting to mutter, and eventually, I found a way out and went around. But later, I reflected upon that. That guy probably thought that I was just a reckless driver who felt like I owned the whole road and he had to get out of my way because I'm more important to him. And so he just kind of sat there no matter what I did. He didn't see it as an emergency. And I thought, I do that too. And so do you. And that is a key. We have been forgiven. Let us forgive others as God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of heart change that if you start to apply it to all these areas of your life, that will actually be transforming. I was in Modesto just after we had moved in 1994, and I was going out what was called Sylvan Avenue, and it comes to our version of Mooney, which is uh, McHenry. I came to McHenry on Sylvan and I was going east and when I crossed the road, it was at a light, I found myself in oncoming traffic because in the time, the 10 years I'd been away from Modesto, they had changed the lanes on the other side of the road and it was now about 8 o'clock at night and I couldn't see the lanes and so what I thought was a straight two-lane road was, was, had now changed. And it was four lanes with a turn lane, and so I found my, so I had to get over or run head on. And I made a guy in the left lane move over to the right, and he was not happy with me. He actually communicated with me <laughs> in sign language as well to make sure that I knew fully what he was trying to say. And, and, and I, I didn't appreciate that. I, but I thought, wait a second. And so I pulled up beside him and got his attention, and I said, pull over, pull over. And so he pulled over, and I pulled up behind him, and I went up to his window, and I, this is the universal sign for roll down your window, which shows my age because nobody has those anymore. They're like, push the button, push the button. <laughs> he cracked his window about like that, and he was just leaning away from me, and I said, look, I said, hey, crisis changed me completely and I just wanted you to know I didn't realize the lanes had changed I'm sorry I had to push you over and I just wanted to let you know I didn't mean to do that I hope you'll forgive me and he said okay I will and I went on my way 
I mean, when the Lord really starts working in your life, it's kind of fun to do those kinds of things because we would have at one time ended up in a fist fight. So you can change the way you see and think about things by putting yourself in the other person's place. You, listen, when it says, sometimes we don't like the idea of forgiving people that we don't think deserve it. It's okay for Jesus, but it's not okay for us. But that's not our job. Because we've been forgiven, we are called to have that compassionate, tender-hearted, kind, forgiving spirit. Jesus has to do the convicting. He has to, he will do the judging. But he is the one who does the forgiving ultimately. And because he has made that forgiveness provisional for all, then we have to be, we have to be those who market that in the way we treat one another. And then finally, revive, which is to put on the new humanity. Revive, verse 27. Because again, um, we have to be alert to the new person. In chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 of Ephesians, Paul said that we were once sons or children of disobedience, and these words, following the prince of this world, we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Then verse 4, but Christ, but God in Christ. You see, that's the change that has come. So we put off that old self, that self-centered self, and we put on the new self, which is Jesus, and that is our real power. Paul says here in verse uh, 27, don't give the devil a foothold. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, when he takes up the subject of spiritual warfare, he says, stand strong in the power of the might of Jesus Christ. That is our power against the evil one. That is our power against selfishness, which he preys upon, the evil one does. So trust things to the Lord. We need to develop a lifestyle of forgiveness. Flannery O'Connor, a Christian, wrote, It is hard to make your adversaries real people unless you recognize yourself in them, in which case... If you don't watch out, they cease to be adversaries. See yourselves in those people, in those events in which you feel injured. It'll help you to realize the grace of God in your own life and that you can be a medium, a mediator of grace and forgiveness and goodness. By the way, where there's no anger, there's lots of joy. And uh, I just want to encourage you, as you grow in Christ, expect great things from God. And it'll open your heart, not to all the little insults and injuries and things that are wrong with the world, but everything that is so right with his creation and what can be right and is possible in his power. Will you stand with me? Let me close in prayer. I want to remind you, I'm going to be up here along with pastoral staff, elders, spouses. We invite you to come if you'd like to pray with us. If you don't know Jesus Christ, don't delay. Come and pray. Let's start this, uh, 
this wonderful walk of discipleship together. If you want to pray for yourself or for someone else, we invite you to come. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. It's all about him because he reveals everything about you. And it is in his name that we have the Holy Spirit, the power of our lives, to live like Christ. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, God bless you.